0: Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 23. And it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness, say boldness. Try again. Say it like you mean it. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. How are we doing this? Through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh that's through jesus and since we have a great high priest over the house of god let us draw near say draw near boldness drawing near right with a true heart and full assurance of faith with without hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. How I many know oh, God is faithful? Guys, I don't know anything else that I've learned over the last year but that God is faithful. That, that's it. That's all I know. God is faithful. So let's pray and go home. Um, you wish. Uh, uh, we just came to the Christmas season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, one of the weirdest traditions in, in all of the world is Santa, like such a strange tradition um, because we teach our kids, don't talk to strangers, don't accept things from strangers, don't, you know, don't hang out with strangers. And then we dress them up and we take them to the mall and say, here's a stranger, sit on his lap and tell him what you want. Like, how creepy is that? And one of my favorite things in the world, like we have one in our house of, of Michaela, she's tiny. And, you know, you're trying to sit her on Santa's lap. And what is she doing? She's screaming bloody murder, just trying to get away, which is what she should be doing. Right. Right. But Santa himself is such a weird thing to think about. It's such a weird concept because it's this whole thing of you got to be good or you got to be bad. And either you're going to get something great from Santa or Cole, which doesn't ever work out because even the bad kids end up getting toys somehow. I mean, you know, you went to school with those kids and you're like, how did they get toys? This thing's, there's something messed up about this system here. And how creepy is it that there's this guy that he sees you when you're sleeping? He knows when you're awake. Like, there's just something off about this Santa guy watching us. But can I tell you, there's something that like in my house growing up, like, I don't let me look around and make sure I'm not ruining anything for anybody. At my house, we we pretended Santa. Because my parents like, Oh, we're not gonna do that because later we have to tell you about Jesus. And you're gonna be like, wait, if Santa has this going on, what about Jesus? Right? So we always left out the cookies and the milk and all that stuff. But then my dad would always wake up the next morning and be like, Thanks for the cookies, right? Plus you get a special order of those cookies if you do it this way. Um We think God sometimes is kind of like Santa. that if we're good, he'll just give us anything we want. And he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, which is true. But we have this kind of messed up Santa view of God, which we just need to kill. In fact, some of you, when you think of a picture of God, he's this big white guy with a big white beard. Like your image of God and Santa actually are pretty close. And that's not the way God is at all and what we need to do this morning is we need to kill your view of god and bring it back up with what this says god is actually like right so right now we're doing a series um, on shameless and i want to tell you ladies and gentlemen if i can get serious for just a moment can i tell you there is a day coming when we will all stand before god We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and He will judge us. He will look at our lives, and He will judge us. Like, this is no small thing. And and as He judges us, what He's going to do, the Scripture says He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to tell some, come on into heaven. Welcome, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to say to others, Get away from me. I have no clue who you are. And if that is coming, look around the room for a second. That's the future of every single person sitting in this room. This day is in your future. And if this day is coming, how do I make sure that I'm in the group that gets to enter into life and is not told to get out? How do I do that? And so we've been talking over the last few weeks about shameless and if i could do um a brief recap is is a few weeks ago we talked about how some people are going to get before the judgment seat of god and say but god didn't we do some really great things for you like like didn't we cast out demons in your name didn't we heal the sick didn't we raise the dead and some you're like i've never done any of those things but we have like god didn't didn't i help that homeless guy didn't i give money in the offering god and this this whole didn't we it's this comparison thing like god wasn't i as good as those guys who are good and what god is saying is get away from me i have no clue who you are but god we did these great things and we did them for you shouldn't that get us in it doesn't matter all the great things you do ladies and gentlemen this morning that's not what gets you in You could be the greatest person that ever lived and still die separated from the King of Kings. And that's what we talked about the first day that the comparison, we are not being compared to the people in this room or the other Christians we know or the bad people we know. That's what we like to do. We like to compare ourselves to the bad people we know. You're not being compared to them. You've got a problem. You're being compared with Jesus Christ and he was perfect. And that's a problem for every single person in this room today. I almost said sitting in this room, but it's a problem for me too, and Malachi. Neither one of us are sitting. Everyone turned and looked at him like, what is he doing? So we've been talking about shame. Shame. Everyone say shame. And that we all do carry a shame. And we talked about guilt and shame. Guilt has to do with what you've done and shame has to do with who you are because the reality is we're all guilty and then because of our guilt we carry shame right and it's really a real thing sin has to do with our guilt but then shame has to do with who we are and that's can i tell you that's why the the cross of jesus christ is so amazing because it doesn't just have to do with our sin it also has to do with our shame it doesn't just have to do with the fact that, yeah, God, I broke your rules, but it also has to do with, God, the relationship between me and you has been distorted. The environment of the relationship has been messed up. And God, you even want to restore that. And so, what's so cool is when we give our lives to Christ, it's not just that we're not guilty anymore but that we're actually, what Corinthians tells us, that we're a brand new creation. Like we've completely died and been reborn. And that's why we baptize people. We baptize them like you're dead, and then you come back up in newness of life because you're not that person anymore because not only are you free and washed from your guilt, but you're reborn, and so your shame is gone. Your identity is brand new. Say amen this morning. And that's what Jesus bore on the cross. But today we're going to flip to a a section of Scripture that a lot of us haven't spent a lot of time in. I know I haven't. Um, But it's something we talked about last week. And last week we were talking about God's chosen people. They were the Israelites. God has a chosen people. He chose these guys to show the rest of the world who He was, which you think would be a really cool job. But it can be a really challenging job. Because God was like, look, I'm going to show the whole world who I am through you. But I want you to be committed to me. And if you're committed to me, I'm going to bless you. But if you're not committed to me, it's going to be rough for you. And they said, yeah, God, let's let's make a covenant. Let's make a promise. Let's do this. And God said, okay. And so when they served God, he blessed them. And when they strayed from God, he said, okay, I'm going to hold you to your covenant and he punished them well how could a good and loving god punish people guys the scripture tells us the lord disciplines those he loves a good parent disciplines their kid because they love them kid i don't want you running out in that street okay dad what did i say i said stop running out in that street it's dangerous out there right come here boy stop running out in that street right you discipline them because you love them. Because a swat on the butt is way better than what could happen out in that street. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And so the people of God, they serve him, he blesses them, they stray for him, and he punishes them. And the prophet Isaiah, he had this really great prophecy. He prophesied something that was gonna happen 250 years in the pu- future. He said, the people of God are gonna be in exile. They're gonna be removed from the land that God blessed them with because of their sin but there's going to be a king arise named cyrus who's going to move them back to where they're supposed to be now that's pretty cool that's pretty cool especially when the guy named king cyrus actually does this 250 years later i mean how cool would it be to live in the middle of that prophecy but not only that years before that a man named jeremiah said listen if you guys don't shape up you're going to be sent away from the land god gave you you're going to be exiled." and the temple is going to be destroyed. And that's what happened. They lived for themselves, and an army came in, Babylon came in, and yanked them from their homeland, removed them as slaves to a foreign country, and destroyed their temple where they worshiped God in Jerusalem. Because these chosen people had a chosen city named Jerusalem, and in that chosen city was a temple where they worshiped the Lord. And because of their sin, their entire way of life was wrecked. Now, how many know this morning, I'm not actually talking about Israel this morning, I'm talking about you, that because of your sin, your entire way of life gets wrecked, and your relationship with God gets wrecked because of your sin, because of your sin, because you doing what you want to do, and it wrecks your life, and you think, well, I can fix this, I can fix this, and what you find yourself is it feels like you're a slave to something you don't want to be a slave to. And when you try to find God, you're like, I can't even find him because the place where I knew him in the past, it doesn't even exist anymore. That temple has been destroyed. It's gone. But Jeremiah prophesied that's only going to last 70 years and then you're going to go back. Just like Isaiah said, it's going to be, it's going to be Cyrus who sends you back to the promised land. And when you get back there, that temple will be rebuilt. And that's what we talked about last week. And if you look at Ezra chapter one, verse one, we're going to go to Ezra chapter one, Verse one. This is what it says. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. this is just like Isaiah prophesied. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. That's God's chosen city, which is in Judah, whoever is among you of his people, may his God be with him and let him go up. Say, let him go up. Say it again. Say, let him go up, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So here's the king, and he issues a proclamation, and this is what he says, hey, if you're one of these people that we drug into slavery 50, 70 years ago, I'm issuing a proclamation. It's time for you to go home. It's time for you to go back to your homeland. It's time to go back to that chosen city, and it's time for you to rebuild the house of God. It's time for you to go up. He said, if this is you, let him go up. He's giving permission as the king, he said, the, the Lord has stirred my heart for you to go up, to go back to where you're supposed to be. What I think is really interesting about this passage is, is Ezra and Nehemiah, here's just a little history thing, but you can handle this, I promise. Just don't zone out. Ezra and Nehemiah were, were in the same book of the Bible in the original transcripts. In our Bible, it's Ezra and Nehemiah, but originally they were part of the same book, Right? Ezra and Nehemiah, and this is, you're reading the way Ezra has, opens up. What's interesting is the guy who wrote Ezra and Nehemiah, he's writing it as a history book, and he decides to write a prequel. Ever see a movie that was a prequel before? He's like, you know what? It's time for me to write a prequel. His prequel is 1 and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles. So can you turn with me? We just read the beginning of Ezra. Let's read the end of Second Chronicles real quick. It's going to sound extremely familiar to you. Second Chronicles chapter 36 verse 22. Listen to this and see if it sounds familiar. This is the very end the very end of his prequel that he wrote. It says this. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king of Persia, so he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and I also put it into writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me the kingdoms of the earth, and he charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among all of his people, may the Lord, excuse me, may the Lord his God be with him, let him go up. Say, let him go up. That's what we just read in Ezra, right? This is what you call a catch line. This is what you call a catch line. And in the original day, they had these big, long scrolls like you see in the movies, right? They'd roll them and they'd read them. And what happened was this writer of Chronicles, he's like, you know what? When they get done reading this, I want them to go read Ezra. So I'm going to end this the same way that one begins. Does it make sense? To connect the two together. So the ending of this book is the beginning of this book. It's called a catch line. And it's to push you into the next thing. So the last thing that's written in Chronicles is, let him go up. Ladies and gentlemen, let him go up is a line declaring freedom for God's people. You're in slavery, you're in bondage, you're in exile. I'm saying go home to where God has called you to be. Let him go up. And what's really cool about this line, let him go up, is if you look, like, the Bible's not in chronological order, but this line, let him go up, was probably the very last line ever written before Jesus walked on the earth. It was the last time God told a man to put his pen to the paper and say, I want you to write this down. And when he wrote, let him go up, then God would not inspire any more Scripture until Mark 1.1. You know what Mark 1.1 says? It says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let him go up. Now let me tell you about Jesus. Let him go up, and now let me tell you where freedom really is. That it's not actually in Israel. It's not actually in Jerusalem. It's not actually in a temple that had been destroyed and rebuilt. Let him go up to where real freedom is. You know where real freedom is? It's in Jesus Christ it's in Jesus Christ but you know what's crazy is not everyone went up did you know some people stayed in Babylon some people stayed in exile it it boggles my mind to this day because I talk to people and they're like they'll come and seek me out like you know Pastor Drew I, I just need some help and I'm like here i this is the only help I've got for you and I'll give them the word. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But I think I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. They're staying in bondage. They're staying in exile. And isn't that human condition? You know why? Because we fear God. We fear God in an unhealthy way sometimes. And yeah, we should have reverential fear for God. But some of us are scared to approach him Because we're scared of what he will say to us about our sin and our shame and about who we really really are And we talked about this last week. This is what we see in the garden of eden God says don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What do they do? They eat it They break god's command and what do they do? They run and hide and get some leaves. I have to hide Because i'm scared of you god i don't want you to see me like this god i'm afraid of what you're going to do to me god because i broke your rules they run and hide have you guys ever heard of a guy in the bible named jacob anybody jacob he had a twin brother named esau and jacob man he's he's supposed to be this really great bible character that we all learn about and like oh yay jacob jacob's name means deceiver like his name means liar and he spends so many stories in the bible running and hiding and lying that's what he does he runs he hides he lies and he does this to his brother he he tricks his brother out of all his inheritance it's bad and so a few years later When he's about to meet up his brother again, he hears his brother is coming with 400 men. His brother is coming, who he stole his inheritance from, and he has 400 men with him. Does that sound like a good situation? No, it doesn't. So Jacob, man of God, has this great plan. This is what I'm going to do I'm going to send lots of gifts ahead of me in waves gift after gift. Maybe it'll calm him down. Then he says this other plan, like, I'm going to divide all of my wealth into two camps, and I'm going to send the first camp on ahead. And if he's mad, he'll just kill half of my servants and livestock. And then he'll send the other half behind them. They're camping out at a river. I'll just send the other half across the river then. And then he does something really bold and manly. He sends the rest of his family on ahead of him to meet Esau who he doesn't know if he's going to accept him or kill him. How cowardly is that? And he waits by himself. Like, you go ahead, and you go ahead, and you go ahead, and the man of God is going to wait here and see what happens. See if my family survives or not. What a joke. And why he's waiting there, why he's waiting there alone by the river at night, God shows up. Now, let me tell you a story. When I was like a little guy, like five or six years old, me and my brother, who's a year younger than me, one day we got into a wrestling match with our dad. And my dad loves to tell this story. We got in wrestling with our match with our dad. And boy, we were whooping on whooping up on him. Like we were putting the hurt on him, you know. And my little brother finally wraps him up and he says, I got him. Right? He really had him. And my dad grabs him, and just lifts him into the air. And my brother shouts, sort of. Right? Well, that's kind of what happens. Jacob shows up on this riverbank by himself because he's a coward and he's sent out all the rest of his stuff ahead of him because he's afraid his brother might kill him. And God shows up and wrestles with Jacob all night long. And we always, we heard it in Sunday school that Jacob wrestled with God go back and read it. It says God wrestled with Jacob. God wrestled with Jacob. And while they're wrestling, God helps him out a little bit. He breaks his hip. He breaks Jacob's hip. The man who liked to run and hide all the time. Every time he got into trouble, he would run and hide and God breaks his hip. Guess what he can't do anymore? He can't run. Can I tell you something? Sometimes that thing that you think is breaking you is actually God blessing you. And so Jacob grabs a hold of God and they wrestle all night. The sun starts to come up and God says, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So God blesses him and names him Israel. He changes his name from liar, deceiver, Two, the one who wrestles with God. If you actually look it up, I actually, mean God fights. That's what it really means. God fights. God fights. And then it goes on to say this. He says, "Because you wrestled with the Lord and with men, and you prevailed." Like God broke his hip. He's saying, "Jacob, I'm going to change your name because you wrestled with me and you won." Is that not the grace of God? Like you wrestled with me and you won. It's like my dad being like, oh, yeah, boys, you got me that time. You got, you won. That's the grace of our King and our God and our Father that He will let us wrestle with Him like, no, God, I need you to bless me. He's like, I'm going to bless you because you're adorable. And it's not this mean, condescending thing. It's because He actually believes that, that we're awesome. The God of the universe actually wants relationship with us. You know what? Moses did the same thing. Moses brings people out of slavery, and they come to this mountain. And on the top of this mountain is God and the people. There's millions of the people of God standing, looking up at the top of this mountain, where there's smoke, and there's fire, and there's lightning. And God's like, hey, I want to come and be a part of you. And they look up and go, oh, but you look scary. Moses, you just go. because we're scared of god we're scared of who he is and we'd rather send someone else i'm gonna let pastor drew handle that like i'm just gonna go to church on sunday and listen to a good message i'm not gonna get in the word myself because i'm afraid to spend time alone with god because i'm afraid of what he might challenge me in i'm gonna send someone else on up ahead turn with me to john chapter three you know this verse One of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, right? We, st- we started talking about judgment when we started this sermon. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. They said, I would rather hide. I'd rather shrink away from God then be exposed to the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen in, that his works have been carried out in God. Here's the thing. God is calling you to the light. God is calling you to the light. Here's the thing. when Abe, When Adam and Eve Ate the fruit and sinned and went and hid. God didn't say, whatever. No, God did this really great thing. He said, where are you? He came looking for them. He did not leave them in their naked, shameful state. He came looking for them because he wanted relationship with them. Jacob, man, that guy, a liar, a deceiver. And yet God came to him and wrestled with him. Because he said, you know what, I want relationship with this people. Because guess what, it's not about you, it's about me. Moses, Mount Sinai, God said, okay, okay, I'll bring my presence down to where you guys are. I'll meet with you in a way that maybe you guys can stand a little more. But the reality is this morning, Jesus is calling us now. Remember a few weeks ago, we, or was it last week? Last week, we talked the par- parable of the prodigal son. This is the story Jesus told. And listen really close to this one because we don't often see this in this story. This son told his dad, I wish you were dead. And he walks away with all of his inheritance and he blows his money on wild living. Right? Today we would say he went and got off in drugs and alcohol and partying and all that stuff, right? Prostitutes, everything. He blows through all the money, he has nothing left. He's eating pig slop of these pigs that he's working with. And he comes to himself and says, I'm going to go home to my dad because my dad's servants even have it better than I do. So I'm just going to go home to my dad and just work for him. I won't even be a son anymore. I'm just going to go be one of his hired hands. So what Jesus says is this man walks home and it says while he was still a long ways off, his father spots him. He spots him like God was looking for him. He was waiting for him to come home, and he completely restores him. He completely brings him back as a son. He's, he's trying to say, well, dad, I'm just going to work for you now. I won't be a son anymore. And he's like, no, we're not having none of that. You're my son You're going to be my son. I'm going to restore you completely. as my son, listen, this is my message this morning. There's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to hide. You don't have to shrink back from the mountain. You don't have to run away anymore. You're my son. And what's crazy is in this story, there's the older brother. And we always give the older brother a bad rap. Because the older brother, he's, you know, he's over there mad because his little brother blew all the money. He's like, what a jerk. The Bible says he actually heard that there's a party going on. He's like, hey, what's, what's the party all about? He goes, oh, you haven't heard? Your brother's home. My brother? You mean that moron that went and blew all his money on wild living? On women and booze? And now he's back and we're throwing a party for him? And he's being super judgy of his brother. And that's where we all end the story like, yeah, stupid older brothers. So So judgy. Can I tell you something? that the heart of the brother the heart of the father the heart of god was also for the older brother because if you go read the story the father realizes that the older brother's not at the party and so he goes out to him the older brother's not at the party so the father leaves the party to seek out the older brother too ladies and gentlemen it doesn't matter if you've been living a life that is so wild and sinful or whether you've been in church all your life, God is looking for you this morning. He doesn't want you to hide. He doesn't want to hide. Well, you hiding in the pig slop and in the sin and all the things that you've been a part of. He doesn't want you to be hiding in your religious dignity. saying, well, I did it all right. No, the, God wants you wherever you're at. He wants you to come and be a part of what he's doing. Hiding is, the days of hiding are over. There is freedom and truth. Zach, can you guys come on up? Say, let him go up. So here's the way the Old Testament basically ends it ends with this proclamation of the king and saying, stop hiding in Babylon, stop hiding in exile stop living where you are and go up to the place that God has for you you can boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in the time of need turn with me this is my last scripture for the day it's in first John chapter 4 Oh my goodness, there's so much good stuff here. We'll start in verse 15. And I want you to listen close. Because I know I'm at the point of the sermon where I was like, uh, we're about done. Zone out. No, zone in. This is the this is the most important part. First John chapter 4 and we'll start in verse 15 it says whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god listen it's not he that has his life together it's not he that's doing everything right it's just he that confesses that jesus is the son of god that other stuff will come we'll work on that other stuff this is what it says So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Some of you just need to believe the love that God has for you. You have this view of this angry God that's out to get you. I'm telling you, you have a God who loves you and desires you and wants relationship with you. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And this is this is where I really want you to lean in these next two verses. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Here's here's the the biggest reality you need to get a hold of this morning. Like, I want, want you to think about my kid for a second. I want my kid to obey me because they love me, not because they're afraid of me. Now, listen, you and I both, we've had parents in our lives or adults in our lives, especially when we're younger, that made us obey through fear. That's that swat on the butt so we don't play out in the highway, right? And I'm, scared. I'm more scared of that than I am of that. But can I tell you, there has to be a maturity in us to where we no longer just obey because we're afraid. This This is going to, listen, let me do a little side sermon here this needs to be in some of your relationships some of you have relationships with people that are all based on fear well i better not do this because it'll make them mad so i'm going to make sure that or we we make sure we fly off the handle just enough so they don't do that thing anymore that's fear that's a fear-based relationship what if instead of being like, you know what? I'm so angry with you, so I'm going to punish you. What if it was like, I'm so angry with you, let me make you breakfast. That's the grace of God, but they don't deserve breakfast. Exactly, and neither did you actually, because you messed up a different time. And so we do these things in relationships where we're like, you've hurt me, or you've upset me, or you did the wrong thing, so I'm going to punish you. Some of us have really weird ways we punish each other. You know what it is for your relationship. You know. You know the thing you do. Some of you have told me, this is what I do when I'm mad. Don't do that. You know what perfect love does? Perfect love casts out fear. Something I'm trying to get through to my oldest daughter is like, look, I can keep punishing you over and over again for doing. I can take away your phone a hundred times, but at some point I need you just to obey me just because you love me. Just because you know it's my heart and my desire. And that's the grace of our God is that He shows us sometimes He punishes us, sometimes He just, you know what? Here's just some grace that you don't even deserve. Here's some mercy you haven't found yet. And the King of the universe who has the power to throw us into hell, is saying, I'm going to let you into heaven, but it's not because of what you did. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And here's the biggest thing right here. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin and our shame so that we can boldly become before God and say, you know what, God, I did mess up. And what God does, he makes an exchange of our wicked, nasty hearts for his pure heart. So when we stand before God on Judgment Day, it's not going to be, God, I did great things. Or God, I did awful things. It's going to be, God, I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I did good and I did bad and none of those things matter. All that matters is that I belong to You. That's the grace of our God and King. Will you stand with me? What I'm trying to infuse in the DNA of this church over this series of shameless, what I'm trying to get us through is one, to stop comparing each other to each other. Right? To stop comparing each other to each other and for each of us just to walk out where God has us. For us to have confidence before our Father. Will you bow your heads for a second? Some of you are here this morning, and you've mistakenly thought that God is just so good that He's just going to excuse your sin without you ever coming to Him. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, God is a gracious God, but you have to surrender to Him for Him to pardon you of all that sin. You have to give your life to Him. You have to die to yourself. There is mercy and grace available this morning. There's forgiveness of sin. If you stood before God today, what would He say to you? Would He look at you and see a son or daughter that surrendered their life to Jesus Christ? Or would He see someone who's trying to make it on their own? So the more, this morning, if you say, that's me, I, I have not surrendered to the king this morning. Would you just lift your hand up right now? Say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. I need to give my life to him. Thank you. Maybe this morning you're at this place, you're like, you know what? It was just that last little bit of the sermon, Pastor Drew, but I realized I am not imitating Christ. I am not walking in grace. I'm operating in fear. I want people. I I, I punish people. I, I make them regret treating me poorly or doing something to me they shouldn't have done. Hey, guys, I'll raise my hand on that one. I know I've done that. Let's surrender that this morning. Let's imitate Jesus this morning. Just talk to the Lord yourself. Or just go ahead and play. I want you to talk to the Lord. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to, you, you need to confess some sin to the Lord right now. God, I've done this thing and it's not right. The scripture says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But it takes you talking to Him. Begin to tell the Lord, God, this is what I've done. It wasn't right. I missed the mark. I've walked in sin in this area.
1: You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea. You have led me through the deep hallelujah. 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 You're the God of my victory. You're the for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah, you have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah, you're the God who fights for me,
0: Lord of
1: every very...
0: you guys know the song amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me i once was lost now i'm found i was blind but now i see what how amazing is that that's that's the god that we've been running from who's done that now, here's what's great. That same amazing grace that you've experienced, you're a steward of that grace. You carry that grace. You get to extend that to other people. You just say, you know what? You get grace today. You get mercy. You get love today. And just cast out some fear. Walk it out. I want you to think of a specific situation in your life. Like, this is where I need to walk this out. This is what that would look like. Because it, look, it looks different for all of us. Walk it out this week. Father God, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that removes all of our sin and all of our shame. And God, that we can boldly approach your throne as sons and daughters. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.